we've been in the series up uh, in where I'm at, and it's been called Small Things. We've been looking at how small things done consistently over uh, a long period of time actually have a, the, the biggest and, and the greatest long-term impact. And in our faith, uh, I want to talk today about what that looks like when it comes to hearing the voice of God. See, we all are invited into this relationship with the God of the universe who we just spent time. We carve time out of our week to gather together corporately to sing uh, songs of worship and praise and adoration, not only to remind ourselves of, of how much this God loves us, but to tell him, thank you. And to sing our love to him. He created the entire universe with spoken words. He just, he's a powerful God. And for a lot of us, there's, there's probably been times in our lives where we've encountered him in pretty big, spectacular ways. But I want to talk about a faith that if it is contingent on encountering and meeting God only in big, spectacular ways. Ways, if that's the only way that he manifests his presence, if that's the only way that he speaks to us, I, I wonder how sustainable that really is going to be. Because if we take inventory of our lives and the stories that are being written through us, we see that that's not always how God speaks. In fact, it's most often not how God speaks. In fact, I'm, I'm kind of glad God doesn't always speak in this big, spectacular way where I, I can't argue with it because, one, that would probably compromise my faith because I wouldn't have to have much of it. Two, it would also be pretty terrifying. And that's not a very good relationship. If I'm scared every time that I'm interacting with somebody, that's a bad relationship. It's called my marriage. I'm just kidding. My wife's not here to defend herself, and she loves me, and, and I'm not beaten um, by her too badly. But we have three children, um, so that means she loves me. And God has used our three kids, <laughs> like some parent got that. <laughs> and he's used our three kids to teach us some incredible lessons. So the question I want you to think about today is, has God ever used something small to teach you a really big lesson? Has God used something small? Not necessarily this big, out of the blue, like the heavens opened up, you saw that bumper sticker and the license plate and the stars aligned and it just was, glory fell. But no, has God ever used something small to teach you a big lesson? See, and through my three children, which as much as it is a huge, significant life transition for us, they entered the world as really small creatures, Pretty slimy ones, too. And God has used these three small lives to teach me so much. In fact, he's used these three small lives to teach me the biggest lessons that I've learned and I'm currently learning. And if it's all right with you, I'd like to share with you a little bit today some of those lessons. Um, not just that they're my lessons, but it's actually how God speaks to us through small things and through a small voice. This is my family. Um, I do have a wife. She's real. And she does love me because we have three of those. And I want to introduce you to my son, Isaac. Um, Isaac is five years old. And the lesson that Isaac has taught me is this. Before I knew Isaac and I held him, just this 
blob of little flesh. Like, they just cried and pooped and was still actually covered in slime at the time. I encountered this emotion, and it was this overwhelming pride. The kid had yet to do anything, to be capable of anything, yet he was completely helpless and dependent on me. That was the first time that I knew what it felt like to have the heart of a father. If you're a dad, you understand this. If you're not, you will someday. There's no way to prepare for the emotions that you will encounter. Um, you will cry tear ducts that you didn't think existed, and it just pours. And, but it changed the entire relationship I have with God. Having the perspective of a father changed the way that I interact with my heavenly father, giving me just this gratitude that oh man, he feels that same way about me. And then he gave us Ellie. Just when we started getting comfortable with one kid and thinking that we had it figured out, we were ready to have our first book published. He's like, I'm going to give you a little girl. And I said, oh dear God, please help. So Ellie is four years old and she is our spitfire diva. Like this is on, we go to woods for dates um, and we have tea and scones and I feel pretty cool because everyone's like, ah, oh, and then I realize they're just talking about her. And Ellie has this personality that's larger than life. And with that, something God has taught me is not only am I capable and God has created in me a softness and a tenderness that didn't exist beforehand, he, he's used Ellie and is using Ellie to teach me what a childlike faith really looks like, to remind me. Because in my adulthood, I've forgotten what my faith was like as a child. Um, but he's used my children, especially Ellie, to, to remind me, man, when life gets so busy and overwhelming, like I want to only go to God when I have big problems. I only turn to God and think that he's only concerned about my big problems. But see, when Jesus uses children as the like, litmus test, the metric, he says, hey, have faith like them because they get it. They trust me. They understand me. They, they understand that I want to interact with you the way that children interact with their parents. I was reminded at a bedtime prayer that God doesn't just want to hear about the big stuff. I want to share with you one of Ellie's bedtime prayers we got on um, camera. And I don't know. Maybe it will challenge you too. Can we just pause and pray for me? <laughs> like, that is the most impossible little person to discipline in the entire world. And she knows it. She's so manipulative. Don't let the cuteness, don't be fooled by it. But praying for not only her brother to obey um, so he doesn't get in trouble, but for this rat that's been tormenting the house <laughs> to be friends with it. 
That is so silly. But if we think about it in our adult capacity, that the God of the universe wants us to come and talk to him about the small things. And he'll listen with an ear that is like bent down, leaning in the smile on his face. But somewhere along the way, if we have a faith that is built on big, spectacular moments, that's just not sustainable. We see this happen in 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. I have one more kid. I said I have three. We'll get to her. 1 Kings chapter 19. We see this interaction Elijah has with God. says this in verse 11. Elijah is hiding in a cave. And the angel of the Lord had come and restored him to his strength. And this is how he interacts with God. God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Some of your translations where maybe you've heard some of this language here before says, and the Lord spoke in a still, small voice. And what does that have to do with a faith that's sustainable versus a, a faith being built on big monumental moments? Well, see, if we were to go back one chapter and we find out the events leading up to Elijah being found here in this cave, where he is hiding, cowering for his life at the threat of this crazy queen named Jezebel. We see a different picture with Elijah. See, in chapter 18 accounts the story uh, that's pretty famous uh, about the showdown that happens between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Israel had been in this drought for three years, and they decided instead of turning to the one true God who they knew historically and generationally had come through for them time and time and time again, they they got distracted because he was no longer bigger and better. And because their attention and their hearts were divided, they turned to this false God of Baal, a storm God, to try and bring rain to end this drought. And Elijah shows up, commissioned by God, to bring a message that is going to have the people of Israel turn their hearts back to God. And as the story goes, he gathers around all the, false, the prophets of this false god, Baal, and he says, all right, we're going to have the biggest, my daddy is bigger than your daddy, like throwdown event ever. And this was before UFC, so it was a big deal. And he gathered them together and he says, all right, We're going to do this. We're going to make some altars, and then you're going to pray to your God, and I'm going to talk to mine. And we're going to see which God actually responds and sends fire from heaven and lights up the altar. As the story goes, these prophets of Baal, they have this big 
show and they're going at it and nothing happens. Silence, silence, silence. Elijah's feeling pretty confident and he starts mocking them and making fun of them. He's like, hey, you're God and you go on vacation. Is he in the bathroom? Like, go read it. It's in there. Nothing. And then Elijah says, God, light it up. Fire comes down from heaven. It's this huge spectacle. God's presence is manifested. His power is on display. It says in verse 18 or in chapter 18, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull. And when all the people saw it, they were terrified and fell to the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, he is Lord. We'd all be pretty terrified too. And that God just started looking a whole lot better than the other one. We've been praying and dancing and cutting ourselves too for three years. That's what they were doing for Baal. So how can Elijah go from having that encounter with God to at the threat of this queen named Jezebel, whose God he just killed, be cowering, hiding in a cave? It just doesn't make sense. But then we see God show up. And he speaks to him in this still, small voice. But here's what we find ourselves wrestling with. Humanity wants God to reveal himself in big ways when they have big needs. We want God to show up in really big ways when we need him. And so that's when we turn to him. And we can go back to those moments which are great times, great moments. But if that is all that our faith is built on, then we're going to be waiting for these big monumental experiences all the time. And then when life happens, and maybe we aren't hearing the answer we want, we're not getting the response we desire. God's seeming and feeling distant, and that emotion is gone. We can find ourselves cowering in a cave. But what lessons can we learn from the cave? And it's this, is God uses the small things to help his children hear his voice so that they can know and trust him in everything. See, we have a third baby. Can we say thank you to Aaron, our slide guy, who is just sticking with me and I'm all over the map today? Thanks, Aaron. This is Lexi. Lexi showed up in October down at Skagit Valley Hospital. Uh, as far as we knew, everything in the pregnancy, she came full term, and it was a healthy pregnancy, and we had never had medical issues in, uh, with us personally or our other two children. We had no clue anything was about to change, except for we thought we were just going to the hospital, going to have another baby, we're going to come home. We were adjusting the game plan from man-to-man defense to zone, and we thought we had it figured out. We had the plan. And then our plans changed. And after Lexi was born, like it just started this snowball of things that started to happen and these, this uncertainty that started to, to mount. As doctors were taking all these tests and getting the readings that they didn't want, they'd come back and check and then they started monitoring her and then one machine got hooked up and another machine and another machine. And we started this journey that we're still on in a long ways from being done with, where eventually 
she was given the diagnosis that's called microcephaly. So conveniently, another small thing. And she's just really, really small. Her skull is really small, which is um, inhibiting brain growth and development. And so we found ourselves the first two and a half weeks of her life living in the NICU. Having never done this before, if you have, parent, if you have kids or if you have family and you know, like, especially the uncertainty when it comes to a little life, we were scared. We were confused. It didn't make sense. And I remember when they were transferring her from Skagit Valley Hospital down to the NICU, my wife writing with Lexi hooked up to all these monitors and machines, and we didn't know what to make of anything. And I'm just trying to think through everything from what is the next year going to look like, the next five, ten years. How are we going to afford this? What, what are we going to do? What does this mean for our other kids? What is this going to mean for our marriage? What does this mean for Lexi? How is my wife doing? I can't do anything. I can't help in any way. Like, I felt helpless. But because I wasn't hearing and listening to a, a still small voice, I started talking pretty loud. The first time I prayed, driving behind this transport ambulance, I remember just yelling at God. All my life, I've never been like consciously more angry with God. Confused, scared, beside myself. I found myself making demands of God that I, I was in no position to be making. In his grace, I know that he allowed me to do that. And I know that his love and his grace was still given freely to me. But I wasn't in any place to hear anything from God. So I found myself demanding this big spectacle. And when it wasn't there, I found myself hiding in a cave. Has that ever happened to us? We ever find ourselves having experienced God in big ways, but then having fear from threats or uncertainty and the anxiety or just the stress of the pace of life of trying to maintain control. We find ourselves listening to that fear and that becomes louder than God's presence. Becomes louder than those Moments where we have seen God in big ways. There's this other story that happens in John chapter 10. This is where Jesus had just said, uh, I'm the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd again. God working through small things. God coming and establishing his kingdom here on earth, not as this mighty conquering deliverer that the people of Israel were waiting for and expecting. Instead, he shows up 
as a baby. Raised as a carpenter in Nazareth. There's no royalty there. And then instead of speaking as a king, he speaks as a shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 24. The people surrounded Jesus and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Has this ever been your conversation with God? Jesus is at this feast and this celebration, and people corner him. And his teachings, they had heard his teachings, but it just wasn't adding up to what they were wanting, what they were demanding. And so they, they corner him and say, hey, stop playing games, Jesus. Just tell us plainly. Reveal yourself to us in this big way. Be this big spectacle that we are expecting you to be. That's me driving behind this ambulance saying, God, where are you? You're supposed to be in this. This isn't supposed to happen. And if this is what you had planned, then you are supposed to show up and fix it. Jesus responds to the people. He says, I've already told you the proof is in the work I do in my Father's name. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. He says, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. He says, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. See, I think that the still small voice that God wants to speak to us in is, is that of, of a shepherd. It's not a domineering, tyrant, king, barking orders. But it is that of a shepherd who is leading. Sheep that hear his voice, the listen. Not sheep that tell the shepherd where to go. Not sheep that tell the shepherd what's best. But sheep that trust. Sheep that follow. Sheep that hear. See, the world is shouting, what's the next big thing? What's the next big thing? But the good shepherd's invitation is, Listen, hear, and trust my voice in everything. And you'll find rest. You'll find rest. You'll find peace. You'll find comfort. You'll, come jo- you'll find joy. You'll find that I know best. My plan is best. My plan is better. It's the lesson I'm currently learning with Lexi. God's plan is better than mine. And if I believe what I believe in my heart about God, I want to hand her life over to his hands, over mine, any day. Lexi's growing. 
She's home. But since last October, we've been at a hospital or at a doctor's office every week. My wife just figured out and told me. This last Monday and Tuesday of this week, we spent down at Children's Hospital just trying to figure out what the future is going to look like. Because we don't know. The uncertainty hasn't changed. The fear hasn't changed. But what's changed is we have peace. We have joy. We delight in this little girl. And that started for me the second time that I decided to try and talk to God. And I decided to talk less and listen more. And so it was the second or third night in the NICU. And if you've ever been in the hospital, um, you know that it's, it's just like the loudest, most quiet, eerie place in the world. Nobody wants to talk, make eye contact, but there's just noises everywhere. And I have like off the charts bad at ADD. And so I'm just picking up on every sound. In the middle of the night, my wife was asleep. I walked into Lexi's room. She's hooked up to all these monitors and tubes. And um, she had a feeding tube in and she was getting oxygen uh, to breathe and all I remember hearing is just the, the alarms going off and the monitors and the beeping and the intercom uh, calling different codes and the phone ringing and nurses talking and doctors consulting and families crying. Just everywhere. I sat down with my Bible and I opened to the Psalms that have comforted my soul. So many times, I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know where else to turn. And I tried again. I said, God, let's try this again. My prayer hadn't changed. God, I'm still, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. I'm scared. I'm worried. I I want to trust that your plan is better. But I need to hear you. For me to trust that, God, I need to hear your voice. And maybe some of you are here this morning and you've felt that, you've prayed that prayer. Maybe you're praying that prayer right now with with all the noise of life, the chaos, the uncertainty, the fear that it creeps in. You know that relying on those monumental emotional moments and experiences in your faith just aren't cutting it anymore. And you're just in this place of desperation saying, God, I need to hear you. And if we can bring ourselves to a place where maybe we, we stop shouting and yelling and demanding a king, we might hear the voice of the shepherd. I turn to Psalm 23, sitting next to Lexi, alarms going off and beeping and machines going. And as I started to read, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. And in the midst of the noise and in the midst of the chaos and all the bustling that was going on, as I stopped talking and shouting and demanding and I just listened to the words of God, all that I could hear 
all that pierced through and my ears picked up and my soul and my mind tuned into was this. It wasn't a machine. It wasn't the beeping. It wasn't a monitor. It wasn't an alarm telling us yet again that her oxygen had dropped and she wasn't breathing. It was kept reading what I was hearing was the whisper of the oxygen flowing through her cannula keeping her breathing and in that moment my yelling was done and through God's word he said I'm here will you listen will you trust me Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. For you are close beside me, your rod and your staff, they comfort and protect me. And from that moment on, we've just been trusting. So whatever your circumstance is, whatever the busyness, the chaos, the stress, whatever you feel you have to get to in life to to feel more confident, secure, significant, whatever it is, my question for us today, if we truly want to hear God, what needs to get quiet so that you can listen? What needs to get quiet in your life so that you can listen? What do you need to trust over to God that you're holding tightly to yourself, just trying to keep it in control? What do you need to say no to and get out of your life that's competing? And second, what's that small voice saying? What's it saying? Could be calling you to do something great that's really scary. It could just be assuring you that he's there. Maybe it's speaking the truth and the life of the identity that he has for you to help you overcome paralyzing insecurity of who others in the world tell you you are. 